<laughs> uh, so we don't have to do a normal intro. We can do a crazy intro. That's right. That's right. right. Okay, cool. We can just be like, welcome to Mistakes Were Made. We're doing... Midnight. A, <laughs> Make uh, Mistakes Were Made the Midnight Special. <laughs> We're doing a special mini instant reaction episode because polyamory is blowing up. <laughs> instant reaction. The article that I'm reading is a month old. <laughs> <laughs> well, the article I read came out just like a week ago. Yeah, that's Ooh. true. Yeah, and it does feel like there is a polyamory mainstreaming moment mm-hmm. happening An right explosion. now. For sure. Um, and it kind of started, well, I, I want us to like collect our evidence, but I feel like mm-hmm. You started hearing about a reality TV show that was going to be about couples looking for a third. Mm-hmm. And then there was like HGTV had a show that uh, showed a couple or a thruple looking for a house that could accommodate them. Really? And then, mm-hmm, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the other examples Have you that heard were going to oh, Well, there's definitely other TV ones, like the new uh, like Gossip Girl reboot had one of the teens. Well, three of the teens are in a thruple uh-huh. together. There's also, I can't remember the name of it, but the like Hugh Laurie spaceship show um, that it's supposed to be in like the, you know, future. Um, He has a husband and a wife back home, but they divorce him from space. Oh, wow. (laughs) Divorced from space. Cold. Uh, But together, the two of them divorce him at once. They stay married. Cold blooded. Mm. Okay. I heard that the. I think that's how it works. Spoiler the end of Riverdale reveals Mm, that mm -hmm. Betty, Veronica, Archie and Jughead are all yeah. in a quad. Can't believe Jughead made it in there. I mean, well, but that's yeah. because he and Archie were always in love with each other. Oh, oh. That's yeah. what it is, Duh. of course. I mean, that was the most yeah. interesting oh romantic arc of that entire comic You're series. Right. If you Archie ask me. and Jughead were fucking that whole time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, I think that's I mean, like because Jughead fucks for sure. Oh, yeah, you know he does. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, yeah, but the rest it, of them yeah. always seem too square for uh-huh. him. You know, right? Jughead this- was like a beatnik. And he was always yeah. like lounging around high in a hammock or whatever. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Just for the record, this is based on the paper comic books from like the 80s yeah. and oh, 90s. Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen we a single episode of, the show of Riverdale. No. And I think it ended like three years ago. So it's not breaking news. <laughs> spoiler <spot>. alert. Uh, <laughs> wow. Go back and watch it so you can be mad at Sarah for spoiling it for you. Um, well, the article that I read uh, for my homework, which I did, was from New York Magazine. Uh, it came out. Uh, just like last week, I guess this is going to come out right away so I can say the date without being ashamed. It came out on January 16th, 2024. Um, and it was called, what does a polycule actually look like? Meet Nick, Sarah, Anna, and Alex. Um, and somebody sent it to me and was like, this you, (laughs) because it has a Sarah and an Alex. Um, but no, I don't live in New York. I'm not in New York magazine. Um, but uh, it was uh, so it followed. It's like a feature article. It followed for people who are in a polycule. Um, the two, one of the couple, like it's sort of the, the main couple, Nick and Sarah are married. Guess where they met? OK, Cupid. No. In person somewhere. <gasps> guess where? Come on. One guess. Life Cafe. No. <laughs> a yoga class. <laughs> Burning Man. Oh, oh, God. We're fired, Sarah. We really should have gotten And then. A yoga class? Nick. Yeah. You were trying too hard. Uh, And then Nick is also dating Anna. So Nick is like 
you know, the hinge and then Anna is married to Alex. Anyway, so it goes through this like whole elaborate thing. I This article made me feel like kind of stupid or like my reading comprehension was bad. <laughs> I had a hard time following what was going on with all of these people. Complicated uh, grammatical phrasing or? I, it might have been that I was like in a lot of, I was like at the kids soccer <laughs> practice and then I was in the shower listening to it for part of it. Um, so maybe it's my fault, but also uh, I think it might have been perhaps because the people were all really the same and kind of boring. Ah, yes. Uh, I think it wasn't all my fault. And I don't think it was actually that the article was badly written either. But then I was also maybe, well, good things about it or the things that it did was like it touched on the like, talked about like the logistics of these relationships and like the scheduling challenges and it did do a good job of like following them for a while or presenting it over time and like talking about how the relationships evolved and like tracing them from their origins and talking about like the interactions between the people and the polycule and like digging into like how their relationships actually worked and um, the fluidity of those and like the jealousy that existed um and like the boundaries and rules that people had set up um, and all of that stuff. So that was all like, I think, well executed and for like an article that was clearly like written for outsiders. I think it did like a decent job of like explaining how this stuff all kind of plays out. So I wasn't mad at it for that part. Um, but there were some things I honestly, the thing that made it hard to follow probably was mostly like who it was. And then it was hard to follow because the people weren't very developed because they were anonymized. Mm. Oh. And that's a vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a vibe. And it was kind of like, you know, the reason for that is like, I don't know. Mm. What do you, I don't know. I'm curious what you all think about that. I'm going to, I want to bop in here. Bop on. <laughs> and ask a couple of questions yeah. about the demographics of these people. Mm-hmm. We know they're from New York. Uh, did you know anything else about their demographics, like class, race, sexual orientation, anything like that? They were, there was never any mention of non-heterosexual relationships. Okay. Uh, there was mention of like play parties, but nothing beyond that. Um, and there was never any, me- then one of them was mentioned as <laughs> there was a part where they're like, uh, Nick's entrepreneurial creative spirit. And then par- parenthetical, he works in tech. Oh, um, okay. and there was, uh, a mention of how they, uh, at one point, Sarah, decides spoiler alert to that she needs some space from living with Nick and she just goes and gets an apartment to live by herself. So they're so rich. Wow. I would say material constraints did not exist for these people. No. Okay. Yes. They were rich. Yes. So they are rich. I, I feel like, this is an interesting place to kind of like enter talking about how polyamory has been mm-hmm. mainstreaming more and more recently. And this like anonymizing thing feels relevant. Mm-hmm. These, I will not guess at their race, but these people sound like very pretty privileged. Um, they sound wealthy. They sound 
Yes. They Hetero. Were Hetero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead, Alex. What were you going to say? Their names are Nick, Sarah, Anna, and Alex. They're white. They're uh, white. They were, they they were actually described. White. She described them physically as in ways that cued that they were white. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, like, that's a little bit of an assumption. They're, they're also, she actually came out and said that they were hot. She was like, hmm. these people are intimidatingly <laughs> hot. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. So they probably are, like, small bodied and mm. attractive in, you know, mainstream ways. So I have, it gives me a feeling when mm. people who fit that description want to be anonymous when they're talking about mm. polyamory and non-monogamy. And I, I want to stop there and be like, why is that giving me a feeling? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think I would feel that way about everyone deciding to be anonymous when they were talking about it. But there's something about this particular demographic. It's kind of irking me. Mm-hmm. Be- yeah, it f- does. It feels like what are you actually risking? Right. And I mean, we all have a background in journalism and mm-hmm. we have on very rare occasions used anonymous sources, but we know that it's like a really high bar generally. And it's like a deep conversation you want to have with the source and like, you're trying to establish a credible threat to life or livelihood. Right? Yeah, the threat to life or livelihood was usually the rubric my editors required of me. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something that is just like sits wrong with me mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, you all are got tech money in New York and you're just like, have this pile of privilege and you're like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to risk not even a single corner of it. Yeah. This. It um, feels like it's, it's discomfort. What do you think, Alex? Did that strike you when you were reading it? Yeah, absolutely. I was just trying to find the place where they kind of explained away. Uh, the names in this story have been changed to protect their privacy. That's it. And then there's a part later on I that I definitely thought about that um, and was kind of like, eh, okay, but like, really? Like, what? how does mm-hmm. their privacy need to be protected? And then later on, I think where it got worse was not just that, which, and the reasoning for that is the like accountability for the shit that you say is important, mm-hmm. right? The reason mm-hmm. that we don't yes. give everybody anim- anonymity is that you will, s- if you're anonymous, you'll say things that aren't true, not because you're lying, but because you're not accountable for what you're saying. Right. Right? Like, if I'm not me, then I can say whatever the fuck I want. Right. And it's not like I'm fabricating things, but I'm just not accountable for my words. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. I'm glad you read this one, Alex, because I hit the paywall when I tried to click on it. But I read the other New York Magazine article um, about polyamory and like the guide. The yeah, the guide. So and the guide was good. I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. Well, and I'm sure we'll get yeah. there. But there was one tiny like uh, profile of a person who worked as a public servant, and she talked about being very open and public with the fact that she was poly, and like in her little blurb, sort of talked about how that had come about and what it had been like telling her colleagues and how she was a little bit afraid to tell her boss, but everybody else was cool. And I, that was like my favorite thing in that entire Mm. article, you know? Um, And then of course I got to the end of that article and they also were like, all the names have been changed. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And in that case, it seemed like she was kind of, well, I'm curious why you liked it, but I, I felt like it was like, she was like talking about like the challenges of like, being out mm-hmm. and like you're not going to be out to everybody mm-hmm. necessarily and you're gonna it's going to be like a thoughtful decision who you're mm-hmm. going to be out to mm-hmm. and like i guess for these people in this article it is like you would make the decision to be out to 
everyone in the whole world and like when your name is googled right but yeah. that's true there's like a i feel like there's sort of a give and take that like you sort of decide to you know like fly that flag i don't know or like even just use your first name i don't know where where it got a little hairy for me is then later it says this uh something that this is uh Sarah talking. Something that comes up in polyamory is that you're navigating privacy. Sarah explains to me in a voice note message. Sarah is more reserved, especially when it comes to sharing details about, quote, tender situations. And she's also protective of the other members of her polycule. What one part of the polycule says about another could have huge, messy ripple effects throughout the whole group. There are things between her and her exes that Nick doesn't know about. There are things between her and Nick that Anna doesn't know about. And there are things she's working through with her with herself that are just for her. So reading between the lines, I think what happened is that the journalist ran into this messy territory where a bunch of people in the article kind of started to get cold feet about what they wanted to talk to her about and what they didn't and just like started kind of backing off about like, oh, how are, how am I going to be perceived and how is this going to impact my relationships and like how open can I be? And I think that's where it all became kind of muddled. Mm. Uh, and like was just like a hard article to be, read because I'm like these people aren't being very honest with each other and like to be to be like fair or compassionate like this is a thing that like we absolutely struggle with was, on this mm-hmm, podcast yeah, like mm-hmm, I yeah. say shit and then I'm like oh I said that thing that like yeah. probably sounded weird to my other partner or whatever so like that's real but I uh, yeah and I feel it like made the article hard to understand understand yeah mm-hmm. and we have more practice with our personal lives being. Yeah. out in the world. And so I think I my um, gauge on this can be off sometimes because of my experience with it as a journalist, writer, podcaster. Uh, but I think it still speaks to something. There's like mm-hmm. something here about like privilege and the way polyamory is being presented as it's like entering into the zeitgeist in a new way. And, yeah. and there's something here um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that like doesn't quite sit. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess my conclusion at the end of it was kind of like, let these people just talk about themselves. Or like, why is a third party coming Mm -hmm. in and trying to write about these people, you know, and like why these people in particular, they don't think they're, it doesn't really seem like they're like ready or confident. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. they, it's like, maybe you're trying to make them sound, it doesn't really seem like they found the right people. They're not comfortable talking to each other about their feelings like across throughout the polycule. And so, you know, and like, why? Why are we doing this? <laughs> why do I have to read this? Did they this? say how long they'd been practicing polyamory? Well, it was kind of like a mix. And, oh, and part of, of what is going on in the article is like the sort of explanation and unpacking of that. They weren't like all brand new to it, but there was like a lot of... Um, uh, sort of like different levels of kind of like a discomfort showing up in different places. Mm. Um, and like definitely one thing that came up was like a lot of the tropes are there in interesting ways, but like they talked about like control and being uncomfortable giving up control mm. in various iterations. And there's one part where like the one guy is like trying to stop the one of his partners from having sex with her other partners and like you can do everything else but you can't have sex Mm. and like that kind of like exertion of control and like fear of like giving up that's so interesting to me because i like tell me you're straight without 
telling me you're straight. I'm like, ooh, what's this everything else? Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. What's doth sex? Yeah. Sure, that's fine. Uh, yeah. I was I'll like, do the what's, every, what's everything else. Does he mean like, you know, going out to dinner or does he mean in the bedroom? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, everything that's not scary for him. Right. right. You imagine. <laughs> Okay, interesting. So what would you say this kind of like left you with, you know, you you and I and Jess and a lot of other people in our lives have been talking about like, it seems like every single day, something new about polyamory is dropping. And it's generally for people who don't know anything about it, haven't experienced it or encountering it for the first time. Um, So what did this kind of leave you feeling? I I like read some of the comments and they were very predictable. It left me with like, this is an article that is like kind of uh, voyeuristic in and catering to people who kind of want to shit on this (laughs) lifestyle. Maybe it's like serving up, you know, a steak dinner for those people. Mm. Um, Mm. But alongside that article, they published a, A Practical Guide to Modern Polyamory, which I thought was, like, very well executed, super useful. We should put it in the show notes. Like, highly recommend, like, reading that. Um, Who wrote it, and what did you like about it? I just hit the paywall, so I don't know. Um, (laughs) I wonder if I still have it open. (laughs) (laughs) uh, What I liked about it was it just kind of, like, really uh, kind of, like, even-handedly and efficiently addressed like everything by like asking a lot of people um, very sort of straightforward questions. Um, Like what rules should you have? Uh, What's it going to be like? How do you handle jealousy? What should you do when you come home from a date? Um, Mm, Just like all sorts of stuff like that. And it was like very concise and none of the, the answers were bad. And it just like has an index like, wait, what is a metamorph? It does like defines all the terms. How do I bring this up with my partner? Should we come up with rules? How do I meet people? Uh, You know, it talks about dating as a couple. It talks about, um, you know, some of the things that could possibly go wrong, uh, like your your initial hierarchy breaking down, um, your relationships transitioning. Should we tell our kids? That was actually the one section that I thought was very poorly executed um, because it was just like a copy and paste job from the book more that you're going to talk about in a second. Oh. And it was, that was like just her being like, I lied to my kids for years and years. And then oh. when they found out, I continued kind of lying. Continued lying. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. No, but all the rest of Heavy it. Disagree. Yeah. The rest of it, the advice was very sound and very short. And because like, I can't remember the number, but they talked to lots and lots of people who have been mm. practicing polyamory for short and long periods of time. And oh, like cool. most of the article is directly coming from them. And it's like specific anecdotes and examples of things that have happened to them. Oh, that's great. Things that went well or mistakes that were made. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh that's awesome. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, and I will say uh, the person who wrote the first article, what does a polycule actually look like? Allison P. Davis I think she did a good job with kind of what she had or maybe what they were trying to do, but I don't think she was working with the right people essentially. Yeah. And I think there is this mistake that media makes and I've been a member of the media Mm -hmm. for many, many years and I have made this mistake too, which is you kind of go after the most, what you think are the most mainstream relatable people 
to represent a trend. So mm-hmm. they're like, yeah. aha, we've got some wealthy, hot, straight white people. Mm-hmm. Right. These are the people our readers will connect with. So this is like the kind of source we want to have. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like to represent a marginalized lifestyle, you don't want a bunch of other marginalized identities in there. It's going to be too, I don't know. Marginal. Too confusing. Confusing and scary <laughs> yeah. for my audience. And I, I say that fully accepting that I have accepting responsibility for having done this myself over the years. So I get it. And I think often journalists are really trying. They're like, how do I pitch this to an editor? How do I make this something that people will want to read? How do I make it seem relatable? There's a lot of needles that you're threading there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that this is consistently the issue that I'm having with how polyamory is being represented right now. Mm. Um, Because there are people who have been practicing it far longer than we have. Um, There are communities who have been practicing it far longer. Uh, There's like a long tradition or history, at least of polyamory in this country that you could draw on. Um, It's a little bit like, oh, did some hot people in New York just discover this? And now (laughs) they're the experts, you know, like that. It feels a little... Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so are those hot people. And so are those uh, hot people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's sounds like there was some good stuff there. There were some good attempts, but it's kind of yes, good stuff for us to poop on. Yeah, I mean that's not what I'm trying to do. No, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just pr- trying to. I'm proud to be a hater. No, I'm not. I don't, and I. I really don't like hating on journalists, yeah. honestly. No, um, and no. you can hear me not hating. I mean, the other thing is, like, I'm just looking at her picture, but the person who wrote it appears to be a black woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting to, like, think about her navigating a bunch of rich white people. <laughs> Again, we're still assuming all of them are white, mm-hmm. and I feel mm-hmm. like this is going to come out and it will be mm-hmm. proven wrong. I mean, but. she's talking about them like they're, they're white. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. one of them might not be white, but I feel like it would have probably come up. Uh, the main characters are quite mm. white. Um, Jessica, you listened to another guide to polyamory that came out recently. Yeah, I listened to the NPR Life Kit episode about how to, if you know, thinking about non-monogamy, here's how to get started kind of thing. Um, you know, and I think it's interesting just because of where the story is, right? NPR relatively recently, I think, started up this, you know, their self-help sort of side of their productions. And Life Kit is a major podcast. And I mean, they have shows about many, many, many things. They produce a lot of stuff. But, you know, their target audience is, you know, basically 40-something white women is like their largest demographic, Mm. um, especially for this stuff, is my understanding. Um, You know, and I thought... It was solid. You know, it was like, I thought it was good advice. They talked to interesting people. I think they had a pretty diverse range of sources. But it, what? It felt, as I was thinking about, like, this conversation that we're having tonight, it also felt a little bit like, you know, we've talked about this issue of, like, people moving to a city and just, like, you sort of show up and receive it exactly as it is in this moment. You don't understand like the history that mm-hmm. came before. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have no sense of that context. And it feels, I mean, so in that way it feels like exactly like what you were just saying about like, 
this is what happens when some hot white people in Brooklyn discover a thing. <laughs> not that, I mean, this particular, like, again, not wanting to hate on journalists, and I do think they did a good job, represented a pretty good, like, range of perspectives, but it did feel like it was starting, you know, it's like starting right now without looking backward back yeah. at all. It's like you know? it, it hatched from an egg in a yeah. cafe in Park Slope. I like yeah. the episode ago. right before it is why it's okay to put dry clean only clothes in the washer. <laughs> I mean, just so we have a sense of where, you know. Which I am interested in. Yeah, I'm that. interested in that. They too. have a lot yeah. of very valuable information uh-huh. in there. <laughs> and I think it's we've got to acknowledge that we did an entire episode where we were talking about how we were acting like we just showed up and discovered polyamory too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think there is just a little bit of that that happens in waves. I've heard mm-hmm. people who have practiced polyamory a lot longer than me talk about how, yeah, this kind of happens. It's like every handful of years, the media gets excited about polyamory and non-monogamy again. Mm-hmm. And then they all act like they've never heard of it. And it's so shocking and it's changing everything. And then they don't talk about it again. Yeah, that I wonder about that in terms of like the idea of marriage. Like mm. when you frame things around marriage, I feel like Americans are like everybody just loves it as long as there's marriage. Mm. You know? Like gay marriage was cool because it was a marriage. Mm-hmm. And like in this it did strike me in this art New York magazine article it was framed around a polycule yes. and like everything that they were talking about was so like it was all about the polycule and so it was less about like the people's individual relationships like to each other and to themselves and the change in that it was like all about you know the cohesion between these four people even though they kind of just didn't say anything about like the Alex guy like what were his other relationships like and obviously like that it wasn't just this unit of four people. It was like they were only connected by the guy, Nick, that was having relationships with the two women, right? Because right, straight. But yeah, they wanted to it. frame it like uh, like this <laughs> unit. And so they were using this sort of like marriage unit, nuclear family language and like frame to, to like, you know, the name of the article was yes. what is a polycule? And then they're like, there's this line where they're like, when a polycule is well-oiled and running smoothly, even the stickier situations are part of what makes it good. Like, they just talk about the polycule, the polycule, the polycule all the time. And it just made me realize, like, oh, they just, like, we really want this to be like a marriage. Huh. Well-oiled yeah. polycule is just, like, a very vivid uh-huh. <laughs> picture. Right. You want them all to be fucking in a yeah, pool of I oil, mean, but they're not. Come on. Uh, so, just <laughs> to respond to that, I looked up the... Um, Statistic, it was Pew Research in 2023. Uh, it was adults younger than 30. 51% said that an open marriage was acceptable. Mm. And 20% of all Americans report experimenting with some form of non-monogamy. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's still very specific to younger people. But yeah. that's a big number. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I wanted to say in response to, you know, this well-oiled polycule <laughs> vision, uh, that I think you're hitting on another thing. It's maybe not totally sitting with me, which is you can just hear people trying to make this not sound radical right? Mm-hmm. or weird mm-hmm. or different 
or challenging to existing institutions Mm -hmm. or power structures. You just hear them being like, don't worry, don't worry, we're going to do this, but it's not really going to fuck with anything that Mm -hmm. matters. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's which is our favorite part of polyamory, right, guys? Sucks <laughs> with things that matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys are like doing the sex part too, which is probably pretty much <laughs> it's my favorite part of polyamory. <laughs> putting the system on trial. Yeah, it's putting mm-hmm. the system on trial. <laughs> it's interesting the comparison to gay marriage in that sense. Um, that again, it's there's a respectability, a, a kind of seeking of respectability, even in something that is so taboo mm-hmm. in the way it's being presented. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's like the, you know, they don't, these people don't play by the rules, but like they don't play by the rules in the playing by the rules kind of way. They don't play by mm-hmm. the rules in the having tech jobs and. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. one penis policies. And one penis policies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Can I? <laughs> uh, this is from the beginning. Nick has noticed more of his friends testing it out. He tells me his large friend group tends to share interests in things like changing the world and psychedelics. And he mentions many of them wind up hooking up with each other, hooking up with each other's partners and attempting to initiate play parties. So it's just like this pass, you know, sort of passing mention of like, they're interested in things like changing the world and psychedelics. So like, I just want to, I guess, sit with that for a second. Like you want to change the world. That's fucking great. Psychedelics. Yay. Yay. All of that is like awesome. And so like, this is like a, a good entry point into like, it's a good reason for questioning things like institutions around marriage and like the way that we approach community and relationships Mm -hmm. right sex yeah um and then a little bit later he talks about getting into i'm not actually sure which relationship he was i think it's like he's already married to sarah now and then she's starting to have these other relationships um and then he's trying to like control what she does with her other partners and then I guess this is paraphrasing, but just like in retrospect, Nick realized he just wanted some control over the situation. So there's some self-awareness there. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It just made me think about that binary that we were talking about in this uh, episode that I guess will come after this one. But like the the idea that like you want to like change things and you want to be like free and liberated and like liberate the world but you also want to be like safe and secure and control how it happens and control how it happens. And And like, I think based on your position to power, you might be more likely to think you can. Mm -hmm. Nick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't. And it's like, in reality, you can't, those two things are related to each other. Right. Mm -hmm. You can't change the world without giving up some of that privilege. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And that distinction, I think, between the discomfort of having to give up some privilege, whether you do that by saying your real name in an article like this, or letting go of the patriarchal, internalized patriarchal ideas that tell you that your partner being with another person's penis threaten you. Yep. Those are the things that are actually going to change you, liberate you, and 
ideally contribute to a more liberated world. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't get to hold on to all of the hierarchical power and then just experiment with the taboo things that are easy for you and think that that's entry into liberation. You know, and it's, I think there's nuance here because I'm not saying people should do things that are, they're not ready for or they're scared of. Uh, in the sense that it's going to break a boundary or their trauma is activated. But I am saying you need to bring some awareness of that difference um, and some discernment, I think, to the way you enter into polyamory. Yeah, I'll say it. I do think you need to do that. Um, Yeah. The world changing starts with another guy fucking your wife, Nick. (laughs) Take it from someone who knows. (laughs) Like, literally, it doesn't, but like... But it does. It does. It does. It's never going to happen. The world is never going to change if you are. Especially because you represent so much yeah, power. Exactly. That's you are the one who has the power. Like the we one. know who this guy is and he is the one who will stop that change from happening. He has the power. He's holding the power that would stop that change from happening. And then also inside mm-hmm. these relationships. Yeah. Because that power gets replicated. And we've talked about this. That kind of hierarchical, extractive, and potentially exploitive power will get replicated inside polyamory if you are not engaging with it. And I say that as someone who also needs to engage with it and my privilege and how that can get replicated. Um, So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and the reason I'm getting saucy about this is because it's like... We need to get Nick on the podcast. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Well, I mean, you have him right here. Like, he's me. That's why I'm, like, getting excited about it because, yes. I want to get (laughs) you a t-shirt. I'm talking to the the tiny Nick inside of me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. And we have com- I have compassion for Nick, too. Yeah. And I have compassion mm-hmm. for all of these people. Like, I am a white, privileged person in a marriage who owns yeah. a home. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. I know what it feels like to want to be like, how about we do some light dabbling in revolution? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> Just mm-hmm. hand jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to give Revolution a hand job. Uh, Revolution, if you're out there and listening, <laughs> hit me up. Uh, you know, so I get, I get that. That's how co-option works, mm-hmm. right? Is by telling people who are privileged and who are benefiting from privilege and oppressive systems that they can have some of the fun of the revolution right. and not have to give up any of their privilege or anything they don't want to. Yeah. That is what American capitalism is a fucking pro at this. And that is what it feels like mm. they're trying to do with polyamory. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't like this it. is a good segue into, uh, I think the title of this episode is the gentrification of polyamory, right? Um, yeah. And your article was the New Yorker article yeah. that is not called that, but talks about that. Yes. Yeah, so mm. it's by uh, Jennifer Wilson. Yeah. I want to make sure I get her name right because Many of these ideas are just straight from her article. It's so good. Um, It's called How Did Polyamory Become So Popular? It came out on December 25th, so almost exactly a month ago. Uh, I had a bunch of people sent it to me, and I didn't read it because I was just having this, like, ick feeling. I was like, I don't want to read, like, another thing about how there's a bunch of, like, rich hot people experimenting with polyamory on a reality TV show or something. I'm like, I feel like it's going to depress me, but I couldn't quite put my finger on why. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally someone, my friend Joel, who was like, have you read this? 
you haven't read this yet? And then he sent me a screenshot from someone's Instagram. And then uh, Jennifer Wilson, who wrote this article uh, in The New Yorker, How Did Polyamory Become So Popular? As far as I can tell, when I Google the gentrification of polyamory, she's the one mm-hmm. who said she's it. She's like coined mm-hmm. the phrase. She's mm-hmm. coined it. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, that is what is happening. That is what is not sitting well with me. That is what is feeling so ick. And it's not just feeling ick because I think that I'm better than that. It's feeling ick because I feel implicated mm-hmm. in it. So I mm-hmm. want to be super clear about that. Um, that's when I was like, mm-hmm. oh, the reason I'm not reading this is not because mm-hmm. I'm too good. The reason why I'm reading it is because I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm afraid of what it might say about me. Um, but what does I, that mean? Which part? The gentrification of polyamory. Well, so gentrification, and I mean, there are many more concise definitions for it than I could give, but the way we think about it is like in real estate and in culture, I think, Mm -hmm. the idea that often white, wealthy, often married people, (laughs) but not always, come into neighborhoods that have historically been underserved and often BIPOC and poorer and once they become like trendy or appealing for whatever reason, they get to come in and buy up a bunch of property and change what that neighborhood feels like forever um, and push a lot of the people who were originally there and built it into the thing that was attractive to everyone out. So. Yeah, you don't have to explain it to me. I am a lifelong judge. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is like a soft. Since the day I was born, spot. baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe tell us a little bit about that. Um, statement because it feels kind of <laughs> oh relevant. i mean i guess just like my parents you know the house that i grew up in was in like a gentrifying neighborhood in seattle and then we sort of when we then we moved to brooklyn kind of on the leading edge of gentrification <laughs> and then moved <laughs> from neighborhood to neighborhood in brooklyn like kind of following that edge um mm-hmm. to like Back when we were and, young hot uh-huh. white people who yeah. mm-hmm. got to discover mm-hmm. stuff and get mm-hmm. written about right yeah, yeah we yeah. discovered bed guys yeah, yeah totally yeah. Ugh, god um yeah and then we lived right by mercy <laughs> projects too we um and then we moved back here and we like gentrified south park a little bit yep. for a second mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. we moved back kind of near to the neighborhood i grew up in but in the more, you know, less at the time gentrified neighborhood and have gentrified that. Yeah. Now almost fully gentrified. Mm. Yeah. There's more. Yeah. There's more more to go. go. Yeah. I mean, and this is like, I don't know, this is some real heartbreaking, Mm. fucked up stuff right here. Um, And I think applying that same feeling of like heartbreak and fucked up Mm to watching what seems to be happening with yeah the media discussion of polyamory is uncomfortable but well, interesting i think it's interesting because how does it apply to you could sort of see the like the the harm when it comes to you know real estate the the original version of gentrification i do think that gentrification in that original sense is is an interesting thing because it's like a phenomenon that happens on a systems level where you can't really it doesn't really make sense to blame the individual players a lot like people make a bunch of small decisions and then a thing happens and like the people on kind of all sides of it make the decisions like people in this neighborhood sold their houses and cashed out and that was a good choice for them and people bought those houses and you know that was a good choice for them and like you can't really 
you know, it's just like a thing that happens that is, you know, not a, not a good trend. Um, and like, it's a change, um, but harm, it's characterized by harm, right? With polyamory, it's like kind of interesting to think about that because like, I don't think that identifying the harm is like quite as easy or like, it's not, it's not like this, the quite the same, like you're not pushing people out of the world of polyamory in the same way. Mm. So I want to kind of like pick that apart, but maybe it makes more sense to talk about the articles first. Yeah. I mean, one thing I feel compelled to say is that there is like system level accountability for something like gentrification. And then there is also like individuals choosing how they engage with those systems. Mm -hmm. And there are, there's a spectrum of shitbaggery when it comes to gentrification <laughs> mm-hmm. and you do absolutely have like right agency agency in how you do it. Uh-huh. Um, Light to heavy shitbaggery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what would be an example of heavy shitbaggery? I mean, I think heavy shitbaggery is the idea that like you just keep doing real estate speculation that maybe you come into a neighborhood, uh, buy up a house at a pretty high price, fix it up, move two years later, do mm-hmm, it again right. with a bunch more profit. Do it again somewhere else. Um, and I think you see that a lot in this town because a lot of people with that kind of money come here for tech jobs. And tech jobs are notoriously like not jobs that people root into. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. they kind of come, do that for a couple of years, then go do it somewhere else. And it's really extractive. Yeah. And um, but yeah, an example of heavy shipbaggery that comes to mind for me that I think maps better to polyamory is that you show up in the neighborhood mm. and you want it to be different right away. Mm-hmm. Like you come here and you say, oh, I'm glad that it's cheaper to live here and that there's like opportunity for the real estate value to appreciate, but I don't want it to be the way that it is, right? Mm-hmm. I love this funky character of this neighborhood, but somebody broke into my car and I'm fucking pissed about it. Or like the on-street parking is not satisfactory mm-hmm. or like why is there garbage mm-hmm. on the street or like that person walking down the street makes me nervous and i'm gonna call the cops on them mm-hmm. or like shit like that right you, you don't start carrying around you start carrying around mm-hmm. and you don't accept the you want to retain all of your power and privilege and privilege mm-hmm. um and, and also and what investment right you want to keep all of that stuff and not um get all you want to get all of the opportunity and I'm not sure like exactly how that maps to kind of like the liberation or freedom, but I guess the economic freedom that you get from moving mm-hmm. to a place that's cheaper and not give up any of the privilege that might come along with it. Mm-hmm. How does that yeah. map to the idea of gentrifying polyamory? That idea of like showing up and being like, I'm here. Just what I was just <laughs> saying, like you show up and you want to be able to fuck whoever you want and not have any of those boundaries uh, or like any of those uh, rules that were there, like that come with a traditional relationship structure or like a, a marriage, but you don't want to have to do anything scary. Got it. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, like a one penis policy would be like a good example mm-hmm, of that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to show up as like a man who wants to have sex with other women, but I'm only okay with you having sex with women too because that doesn't threaten me there's another way i think it maps to uh polyamory gentrification and and polyamory um 
in the sense of something you said earlier, Jessica, about people not knowing the context and the history of something. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about how common that is in a city like Seattle, where you'll encounter people who moved here in the last couple of years. And so their sense of Seattle is just like the snapshot of it right now. Um, And there's, of course, all of these layers of context and history and people who helped shape it in all of these different ways that have gotten lost uh, along the way. And that's something that Jennifer Wilson ends up talking about a fair amount in her article um, because she's doing a review of this big book, American Polly. Oh, right. And American Polly, it's like there's so many things to look up so I can (laughs) properly (laughs) cite all of the authors. Um, But it's a very, like, comprehensive book of the more recent history of, um, like, free love in America, essentially, um, and the utopian communities who have practiced it for various reasons. Um, and I don't know that she... But, like, how, like, like post-1960s, right? Or Yeah. Hold on. Not, I'm, like, the 2010s? Post-1960s. Okay. Yeah. What about, like, Mormons? That is not free love. Okay. Cool. Just <laughs> Thank you for bringing that in here. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, first person who mentioned was Mormons in a conversation about polyamory loses. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, edit that out then. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> but, you know, she talks about, like, there's, I think the Oneida is a mm. utopian mm. community mm-hmm. that practiced free love. And I think there have been other utopian communities that have. And then, of course, like, queer people... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Queer people have been practicing forms of non-monogamy and polyamory and free love or whatever you want to call it for a really long time as alternative ways of building community and family inside of systems that didn't let them have community and family um, and actively blocked them from it. Mm-hmm. So that's just like a little bit of that kind of context that I think is missing in the way people are talking about polyamory and non-monogamy mm-hmm. right now. And also because I feel like they're just talking about it like it's kind of a fun sexy like accessory for mm-hmm. rich people mm-hmm. you know yeah it's Can we kind call of it like a sex accessory it reminds a me a sex accessory <laughs> it's like a fucking i don't know if this exists but like a gucci che guevara t-shirt or something you know it's like it's got that <laughs> feeling to it can we make those available in our merch store <laughs> yes, <definitely. laughs> um <laughs> yeah well yeah. i mean i feel like so many times what i hear the two of you, like the conclusion I hear you two coming to on this podcast over and over, if I may summarize crudely, is thought it was going to be all about sex parties, but it's actually about like understanding ourselves and each other and our communities on a much deeper level than we ever could have without doing this. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- that is like the, the challenge and the gift of polyamory kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it, f- you know, forces you to like understand your own desire and your own trauma and attachment and communication in a way that like you don't have to when it's unexamined in the like sort of traditional script of traditional non or traditional monogamous marriage. Um, and so that it's like giving me that vibe too. What do you think? Yeah. And that it isn't forcing you to examine the other institutions and power structures and ways of being in the world that you were just served up as unquestionable. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like you can try to 
be poly or be non-monogamous and hang on to every last bit of the privilege that you already had. And like, it's probably not going to work out. It's definitely not going to work out for the people you date. Right. Mm. And that's where the like question of harm comes in, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's notable to me. And we talked about this on the episode that's coming out next. Um, a lot of times people in those privileged demographics and in those couples are people who end up dating folks with less money who are not as old as them, right? So there is like this imbalance of power mm -hmm. that's happening there. And if that's happening in relationships where the people holding the power aren't aware of the way they're positioned in power or how they're wielding it, people will get hurt. Yeah. Um, and there is harm that yeah. can happen. It's not just like, oh, they're taking... It's me, Sarah, talking now. They're taking one of my revolutionary tools away from me, and I'm mad. You know, I mean, I am mad about that. But I think that there are some stakes, like some very human stakes there, too, that matter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, coming back to the, like, the scales of douchebaggery or dipshittery or whatever. Shitbaggery. Shitbaggery. Shit the um, spectrum of shitbaggery. The spectrum of shitbaggery. <laughs> and, like, the, the gatekeeping thing. Um, I do think that, like, we... Like you and I are are like guilty of all of this Absolutely. in the gentrification of regular gentrification and in the gentrification of polyamory too. And I think that you can like mitigate the harm that you do yes. by rather than being defensive about it, being cognizant of it, right? And like trying to be more right. careful. And the difference know? between being like it's not me and deflecting any kind of accountability and yeah. saying like, it is me. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's why I need to be extra accountable. Yeah. And mm -hmm. when people call you on gentrification, gentrification, the alternative, mm -hmm. like my kind of answer to that has always like internally, at least has always been like, yeah, I mean, I guess I could move to the suburbs where I quote unquote belong. And like the polyamory equivalent of it, that is be monogamous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to do that. And people who want to be liberated from the idea that that is what life has to look like or the only way life can look or whatever. I believe in their liberation, too. I'm not trying to gatekeep yeah. polyamory from them. Right. That's great. I'm like, also, my instinct is to be like, get in here. Exactly. That's, yeah. we, we want you, we need you, more people doing things that make people uncomfortable in this way, <laughs> I think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you have to do it with some awareness, and you have to, I think, be aware of our culture's incredibly insidious ability to take something like this and just like package it mm -hmm. as something that is not threatening and is only for these sort of moneyed classes. Yeah. Um, and just making it really like yeah. slick. Yeah. Right. And, what, like, watch out, Nick. They're yeah. coming for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like, it's going to happen with, you know, like, I know everybody's pissed about like Field completely falling apart, you know, and like the, the oh, app I is didn't like hear they did a this. rebuild and it's com completely like kind of like not functioning. Mm -hmm. But like, I will take Field being a piece of crap product that's being run by people who still care over it getting sold to yes. whoever and who commodifies it. And it, it's going to happen like sure. probably next probably year happening right yeah. now. Yeah. They're like, you know, doing the deal. And it's like, it will, this whole thing will probably go through a whole monetization 
cycle mm-hmm. that will, you know, co-opt it all. And I mean, I don't know what that will look like or whether it will really matter, but yeah. So there's like a lot here and mm-hmm. there's a lot to talk about here. Um, and I don't want it to sound like we're just crapping on everybody. <laughs> I always want to so fun. Saturday I always want to shit on myself first. <laughs> uh, no, not literally. Well, not literally. What is it they say in comedy about like punching up? And I'm just like, you know, I'm gonna punch myself in the face first. <laughs> punch right in the middle first. So what are some examples? that you can think of or that we can think of, of how we haven't been accountable in this way, or we might've contributed to this phenomenon that people could maybe like learn from, hold on to not repeat. I can't think of any. Mm. <laughs> I've never made <laughs> a single perfect in every mistake. Um, huh. Like specific examples. I, I mean, just like, I mean, definitely like dating younger people holding on to the power in terms of like, uh, you know, I mean, this comes up, came up so much in the episode that we recorded about solo poly folks and just like, uh, trying to preserve, you know, the, the privilege and safety in our relationship when we first started, um, and like trying to, uh, just always like consolidate that. Mm. Um, and kind of like uh, externalize all of the risk, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is like, I mean, it's a tricky one because and there's it's also, understandable and yeah. a little bit. That is a phase that people will go through in yeah. doing something that's scary, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. None of the people in these in the article that I read had children or community and i think like the community Mm. part i guess i'm sidestepping this question now so what were you thinking let's let's (laughs) let's like actually answer it before i start talking about something else Um, i didn't want anything to change right Mm -hmm. i I mean i think like the big mistake i made was just you know is there a way that i can cling to the edge of the pool you know like can i date women but not call myself queer publicly um can i Mm, control what Alex does, mm-hmm. you know, or the way he approaches his relationship. So I feel like I can control what happens between the two of us um, with a bunch of like rules and anxiety and um, surveillance. Uh, what's the other things that I've done? Um, I think early on I had partners um, that I kind of experimented on, mm. you know, Mm-hmm. And just, like, didn't really think of them in their, like, whole personhood, you know? Because I was just like, well, these are just, like, some non-monogamy polyamory kink freaks out here. They don't, they won't care if I show up in their life and then leave, you know? I think it, and I think it was extractive, and I am not proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's always, it's always challenging to have compassion for mistakes, which I think you have to, I think you have to, um, this is not about perfection because if it is, then you're just also repeating some stupid bullshit, um, oppressive systems all over again, but you do, you really have to be accountable. Mm. Mm -hmm. You really do. Um, you got to learn from it and you have to embrace that for me, polyamory is 
a fucking master's class in change Mm -hmm. and in letting go Mm -hmm. and in staying accountable Mm -hmm. and, and like trying to live as much in that stream as I can. Um, which, you know, I succeed at and I fail at, but yeah, I have plenty of mistakes I made (laughs) (laughs) for sure. What about Jessica? What did you observe or have you observed or how do you think about that? Mm. Well, I mean, I think that this is um, adorable about us. But as you were listing off like the different neighborhoods that you've lived in, you mentioned South Park where we lived in like the early mid 2000s. And one thing that we did when we moved there was be like, whoa, South Park. Anyone ever heard of this place? Let's make a radio show about it. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, which then also, as you guys have been discovering polyamory, we also, I mean, it's not like we acted like no one ever heard of it before, but we decided to make a podcast about it. But there's a little bit of like, hey guys, hey, Mm -hmm. check it out. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, some uh, hot people from Seattle who discovered a thing. (laughs) Uh Yeah. Well, and you did read a, write a, cover story in Seattle Met Magazine about polyamory <laughs> like two years ago. Yeah, but so. I don't live in Brooklyn, so yeah. nobody read it. No. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's another piece of this that I want to shade in. You know, I could just sit here and talk about how I think Jennifer Wilson's article is brilliant all the way through. And I just realized as I was looking at my notes and my screenshots and things that I highlighted that it was basically the whole article. So people <laughs> should just go read that article. Uh-huh. Start with um, page one. But it's interesting that it is a review of this American Polly, mm-hmm. this huge anthology, and it's also a review of More, mm-hmm. which is a memoir about a middle-aged married woman with children who opens up her marriage. Um, and so I have not read the memoir. Many people that I know read it within a week of it coming out. <laughs> wow. Just like breathlessly. <gasps> you like, know. I, I haven't read it, but many of my friends have. <laughs> well, I say that... <laughs> That's how I am about a lot of books. But I say that to just Sarah's say read it. people are hungry for this material and mm-hmm. people in polyamory are really hungry for it. And a lot of people in my practice read it before, you know, a lot of my mm. clients had read it mm-hmm. before me. I'm like, like, have you read this? And I'm like, how have you read this? Like just came out. Yeah. Um, so people are really hungry for this material. And I won't, I don't have anything to say about the memoir itself you know, not having read it. But I think that this article, Jennifer Wilson, again, identifies in that memoir and in this media coverage in general, this sense of like, more. That is literally the title of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. More. I That's want more. I want more. Uh-huh. I want more. And she quotes, and this one kind of like, was a little bit of a dart right to my heart. Uh, she was like, you know, poly people are always saying this thing about how, Love is abundant, and you can't approach love from a scarcity mentality. And, of course, I love that quote also because I think of that in terms of, like, larger-scale orientations to systems like capitalism and money. Uh, But Wilson's point is, if you're just, like, gathering more and more things for you, Mm. that's not really abundance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not really a different way of living it's still just the same people getting more things Uh and it's not reciprocal. Um, and it's not dismantling of these systems that maybe have actually perpetuated scarcity mindsets and exploitive mindsets. And you're not saying you love that quote, like you agree with it. You're saying you love the critique inside of the quote. Well, I was saying that like that quote, love is abundant and the more love you, 
you know, yeah. give and receive, the more there is in the world is mm-hmm. probably something I've said. Mm, That's yeah. like a pretty common right. quote in polyamory. Yeah. Um, right. But when you put it on into the context of thinking about it related to capitalism, it's like, it's like being like, well, we can just go to space right. and we'll just mine asteroids and mm-hmm. get, we'll get know, another planet in uh-huh, here. Or, this planet's junked up. Let's yeah, go get another Or one. we can just like, right. can I'll just keep investing and have infinite returns and stuff like that. Like there is no, there, there, there is always limits on, on what you can receive and like, and this comes up a lot in all of these articles. Like they're always talking about like the, you know, the scheduling, like time is the only finite resource. Mm. Right. Um, mm. uh, and I think it's definitely interesting to think about like where those limits do exist. Mm. I think so too. And I'd like to read a couple of these quotes. Mm. She's talking about a quote from Moore, this memoir. And the quote is because love is vast. She tells us abundant, infinite, in fact, and the secret is this love begets love. The more you love, the more love you have to give to give end quote. And then this is Wilson. But there is no articulation of what that abundance might look like beyond her private life and the private spaces in which it unfolds. Ultimately, Roden Winter's memoir represents a very specific, arguably very American version of polyamory, the extension of abundance culture to all corners of the bedroom, but absolutely nowhere beyond. Um, Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's... So what does that mean? What would be the beyond? Well, and then that's where I want to do this other quote. As ethical non-monogamy becomes the stuff of Park Slope marriages and luxury perfume perfume ads, it's worth remembering that revolutions don't fail. They get co-opted, often by people who can afford co-ops. You can... (laughs) Cute. I see what you did there. Burn. You can understand why Roden Winter might believe that she is ushering in a bright, abundant future by opening up her marriage. A good love affair when you're inside of it feels like it could change the world. But changing the world takes more than spreading the love. You have to spread the wealth, too. Maybe that's just utopian, hippie nonsense. But what can I say? I'm a romantic. And that's what it means to me. Is like, why are you doing this? Why have multiple sexual romantic partners? Why move beyond these traditional definitions of marriage and monogamy? Is it really just so you can have had a lot of sex with different people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it is that, I don't really want to judge it, but I think as a representation in culture, I would like it to be um, acknowledged as having more depth and potential. Mm-hmm. That there really is like disruptive, revolutionary potential in it, in, um, in the liberation of the experience of having sex outside of what is seen as acceptable, of exploring parts of yourself that don't get explored elsewhere, of building community, and of questioning other systems as well. Um, and I really, I want to see polyamory represented that way because I think it's important and I think it deserves to be represented that way. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I, I'm curious what that, uh, what those, those other things are for you, like in those relationships, like in your relationships, like how do they feel like more than just more sex. <laughs> or I can try to answer first <laughs> yeah, while you're thinking you about first. it. Because um, I was thinking about it when you were saying that. I'm like, like, we're going to have to audit my sex life. I'm like, well, it's no, not that I don't. much sex, honestly. Um. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think there has been times when I've felt like, uh, 
you know, it's not just doing like to some extent, it's like doing the thing that's different feels meaningful. Right. Um, uh, but also that you're like making connections with people where you're like bringing in like ideas and like knowledge and feelings. And like in the New York magazine article, they talk about this, like, you know, with like, kind of like skill sets and like an interest in gemstones (laughs) shit like that i'm just like okay uh so they're like beginning to touch on some of that stuff or like uh the capacities of their partners like this person's really analytical and i really appreciated that this person over here was more emotive or whatever so a rich pastiche of experience that you don't get with being in partnership with one person but i think what i'm talking about is more like an understanding of the world and uh, perhaps like ways to transform it that are more um, more robust and that like inform each other, right? And that can feel like really actually revolutionary. Um, yeah. And I think it can be even more specific than that. It's like the first serious relationship that I had after we opened up our marriage was with someone who was like a really yeah. committed, involved activist. And it revitalized a lot of my identity around being an activist and getting involved in like, and supporting direct action because of that. Um, One of my other partners, former partners became a music collaborator uh, that you and I Mm -hmm. still work with. Um, We were at a music related event (laughs) just today with someone who we know through polyamory and dating, you know, there's like, um, Mm -hmm. there's like creativity, creativity in that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking about like the queer happy hour Mm -hmm. that I've helped to start and with a bunch of polyamorous people. Yeah. And I think like the trust that you build with people in those kinds of relationships, not just like sexual, but like whatever romantic or however you want to characterize them is a deeper level of trust that you build faster also that would make you be able to change the world in ways big and small more deeply and Mm. is disruptive of capitalism, Mm. right? Like it's, it's literally replacing commercial relationships that capitalism wants you to have in a commercial space, which are not relational, but they're extractive and capitalism wants you to have those only with your nuclear family. Yeah. Right. And like once and, and blood it, ties and blood ties and polyamory probably is like encouraging you to build those connections with a broader base of people. And I think maybe what these articles are kind of missing or like the article that I read is sort of missing is being like, yeah, just do that with four people and we'll put it in a neat little box. And then if you'd feel like you need some space from that, go sublet an apartment in Brooklyn for four thousand dollars a month and it will be fine. And the difference is like. You know, no, build ties where you like support each other with mutual aid and, you and stay like, in community and you, stay and in you community. let relationships like change to be supportive of each other. Uh, and I would say also when people are already practicing something or like living in a way that is different, non-traditional and even taboo, those are folks who tend to be more like questioning of other systems, too. Mm. And then that has its own sort of um, generative properties where it like has encouraged me to think more radically about the world. I'm, I'm like so radicalized, uh, so much more radicalized, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> over the course of the past four years of us being polyamorous, uh, than probably any other period mm. of my life. And of course that period also maps to like 
COVID, the George Floyd uprisings, you know, the overturn of Roe v. Wade, uh, and now the genocide in Gaza. So there's a lot to get radicalized about, but I think the level of just commitment to those radical values and to being involved in every single one of those um, political movements and resistance, I, I think it has been informed by polyamory. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think that would feel much more compartmentalized and a little bit more like I was a tourist kind of like visiting mm-hmm. those values or those yeah. issues and less like I was living them. I think polyamory has taught me a lot about what it feels like to live those values in a more integrated and everyday way. Because you're learning how to trust people and care about people and like stay in discomfort with people and yeah. challenge your privilege right. and talk about it and think about how the world is fucked up and ways that we could help make it different. You know? Yeah. yeah. I think polyamory has taught me a lot about that. And I want Nick and Sarah and all of these other people to get that experience too. Um, but my fear, of course, is that that co-option, that cultural co-option machine is at work. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll just get like sold a poly scheduling app. project management. Or app I mean, or I was just like, people yeah. are probably doing some sort of real estate speculation on the rise of polyamory yeah. and like yeah. alternative uh, ways of living right now. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Startup ideas. You mm. heard him here first. Uh, yeah, we cop- should copyright. <laughs> if I just say that, that. trademark, trademark, trademark. <laughs> yeah. So mm. I think that it feels like a crossroads right mm-hmm. now um, of where is this going to go? Where does polyamory mm-hmm. go in the culture? Does it continue to be something that like is disruptive and is seen as like really challenging of existing structures, or is it going to be like just? smoothed it, pulled in, and they just smooth out the edges and everything just keeps clipping along. And I really hope that it's the former, not the latter. Yeah. I believe it can be. Mm. (laughs) Me too. I mean, and again, to quote Jennifer Wilson, because I'm a romantic. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. I, do, I believe in revolution. <laughs> uh-huh. And I believe that people in, in change and people's ability to embody yeah. it mm-hmm. yeah well and polyamory being on trend is not it's not on trend because fucking you know the new york new yorker and new york magazine and brooklyn literati book publishers decided that they wanted it to be those articles came out because it was on trend mm. that's right that's on trend because people are feeling a thing it's yes. not because mm-hmm. they're trying to fuck mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. it's because they're feeling this change and right. the sense that, yeah. like, yeah. maybe we could, maybe we must, maybe we have to live differently. And, like, that is just, I'm like, stay close to that yeah. feeling. Nick, yeah. you got to get and closer I, to that it's feeling. It's not because rich people are bored. And the thing that, like, mm. Nick and all his friends being interested in psychedelics and changing, changing the world, the world. Yeah. that's a good instinct. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested. I also just want to, like, invite listeners who are also noticing this trend and have feelings about it and... Uh, other examples of it or examples of people kind of countering this co-option of polyamory. I, I want to know more about, yeah, what people are noticing out there. So send them our way. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So this was interesting. <laughs> we did this at night instead of in the morning. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you all are we're drinking night vibes. San Juan seltzers. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Are we going to get sponsorship? Yeah. Uh, I guess we're seeking seltzer. sponsorship from San Juan Seltzer. Oh. I am your largest customer. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, Jessica, we already know you. Yeah. <laughs> 
um, yeah, thanks for doing this. Thanks for like setting it up and hopping on quickly so that we can talk yeah. about it. I was feeling really excited about this idea. So thanks yeah, for, for sure. We'll be back in like one week with another episode that is a, it's a heater. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. a banger. It yeah. is. All right. Thanks for listening to this midnight mini episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at MistakesCast or email us at MistakesCast at gmail.com. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. yeah. That's the one. And we'll put all of these articles in the show notes okay. so people can read them. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye. Thanks.